0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and That's love. a great lead-in to our text today. Turn to Isaiah chapter 36, and we are going to see that uh, the Judeans are at a point of crisis uh, where they desperately need God, but the truth of the matter is that we desperately need Him every single day that we live. And so there is such an incredible message in Isaiah 36, and, and really it's the question, who will you rely on? Who are you trusting in? And so Isaiah 36 through 39 are just an amazing Chapters. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at chapter 36 today. We're gonna to look at chapter 37 next week, and then we'll look at 38 and 39 the following week. I encourage you be reading this section, read it as a unit. It is it is suspenseful, it reads like a thriller. There are all kinds of bins in the road in this section of Isaiah, and we kick it off this morning with Isaiah 36. Who will you rely on? So follow along with me and your copy of God's Word, and let's look at the 36th chapter of Isaiah. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, King Sennacherib of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his royal spokesman, along with a massive army, from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. The Assyrians stood near the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Elakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came out to meet him. So you've got a situation here where you've got the Assyrian spokesman, who's like an emissary for the king of Assyria, King Sennacherib, has come and he's meeting with emissaries from King Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah. Pick it up in verse 4. The royal spokesman said to them, Tell Hezekiah, the great king, the king of Assyria, says this. What are you relying on? You think mere words are strategy and strength for war? Who are you now relying on that you have rebelled against me? Look, you are relying on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of anyone who grabs it and leans on it. This is how Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is to all who rely on him. Suppose you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you are to worship at this altar? Now, make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to supply riders for them. How then can you drive back a single officer among the least of my master's servants? How can you rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I attacked this land to destroy it without the Lord's approval? The Lord said to me, Attack this land and destroy it. Then Elohim, Shebna, and Joah said to the royal spokesman, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew with an earshot of the people who are on the wall. But the royal spokesman replied, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men who are sitting on the wall who are destined with you to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Then the royal spokesman stood and called out loudly in Hebrew, Listen to the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says, don't let Hezekiah deceive you for he cannot rescue you. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord saying the Lord will certainly rescue us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make Peace with me and surrender to me. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Has any one of the gods of the nations rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharbaim? Have they rescued Samaria from my power? Who among all the gods of these lands ever rescued his land from my power? So will the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power? But they kept silent. They didn't say anything, for the king's command was, don't answer him. Then Elakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of the royal spokesman. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at at Corinth. And he tells them about a time when things were so bad, so desperate for himself and for his missionary colleagues that they were brought to just an absolute deep point of crisis. And we don't know exactly what this was that was happening in, in, in Asia, but we know it was really, really bad. And Paul writes about it at, at the beginning of the book of Second Corinthians, and he says this. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of, of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. And, and, and just like in Paul's life that he's talking about here, sometimes God has to bring us to a point of crisis before we will cast ourselves without reserve upon him. And that's exactly what's happening with Judah in this chapter. So chapters 36 through 39 of Isaiah are a bridge. They're a bridge between chapters 1 through 35 and chapters 40 through 66. And chapters 36 through 39 are very different they're very different than any other part of Isaiah. The rest of Isaiah is, is poetry. Chapters 36 through 39 are prose. It's a historical narrative. It's a story. And it is, it is a spine-tingling, suspenseful story. And it kicks off here in chapter 39 with the crisis. The crisis. So to kind of set the stage for what's going on in this crisis and where we are as chapter 36 opens. We've been talking for the last few weeks as we've been walking through these early chapters of Isaiah that the threat of the Assyrians was sort of looming. It was kind of like a a storm cloud that was kind of out there that was hovering over them. So it's been hovering throughout the first part of Isaiah but But now things have come to a head. So kind of to to set the stage here, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And at that point, the, the, the people in the south, Judah, they began to basically pay them off so that they wouldn't be attacked themselves. In 703, Sennacherib became king of Assyria, and at that point, you know, Judah thought, hey, there's been a change uh, in the kingship in Assyria, and let's test this guy. And so they begin to sort of try to get out from under the Assyrian power, and so they kind of begin to rebel, and the result of that is that in 701 B.C., The Assyrians invade Judah, and they come in overwhelming numbers with a massive army. That's where we are as chapter 36 opens. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, King Sennacherib of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his royal spokesman along with a massive army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. The Assyrians stood near the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. So basically at this point, the Assyrians have taken all of Judah except Jerusalem. And they have come against all of these heavily, fortified Judean cities, and they have just gone through them like a knife through warm butter. And now they are poised just 30 miles west of Jerusalem at the city of Lachish. And Lachish was not only close to Jerusalem, but even more importantly, it was the city that guarded the road to Jerusalem. And the Assyrians have taken that city. They've taken Lachish. Which means that, that basically the road to Jerusalem was like a wide, a wide open road. No traffic. Nothing was hindering this massive army from taking Jerusalem itself. And so the king of Assyria sends uh, an emissary, a spokesman, to represent him. And and King Hezekiah of Judah also sends emissaries to go and to meet with this Assyrian spokesman. But notice where this meeting takes place. This is super important. Look at the end of verse two. The Assyrians stood near the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Now, does that ring a bell? In chapter seven... This was the exact spot in Jerusalem where God told Isaiah to go and meet with King Ahaz. It was the same exact spot. You remember, King Ahaz was freaking out because he thought the Assyrians were going to invade at that point. So he was out there by this, uh, this pool, which was like a reservoir, he was inspecting Jerusalem's water supplies because he was afraid of imminent invasion. And so God told Isaiah to go out and meet with King Ahaz at this very spot and to tell him, Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I can handle the Assyrians. You just trust me and obey me. Well, unfortunately, King Ahaz did not do that. And that has led 34 years later to where we are now. Now Ahaz's son, King Hezekiah, is facing this crisis, this threat, with the Assyrians just holding a a knife to their necks. A couple of a couple of lessons here. First of all, parents. When we don't trust and obey God as parents, we can put our kids in some pretty tough spots in life. Hezekiah is facing this because his dad did not trust and obey God. It has led to this. And so there's a word here for parents. There's also a word here for children. What if you didn't have faithful parents? What if your your parents did not follow God? There's There's a message here for you. And the message is this. You do not have to make the same mistakes. You do not have to take the same faithless, disobedient path that your parents took. Because Hezekiah here has a chance to do differently than what his father did. And we'll see which way he goes in the, the next couple of weeks. But that's the second lesson. You're, you're, you, are not, if you're, you are not relegated to take, the same, take a faithless path just because your parents did that. So we see the crisis. Second, here we see the threat. The threat. And the threat begins in verses 4 and 5 as this Assyrian spokesman begins to lay it on thick. He says to these Judean emissaries, tell Hezekiah, the great king, the king of Assyria, says this, what are you relying on? You think mere words are strategy and strength for war? Who are you now relying on that you have rebelled against me? So the word rely, you see it here twice in verses 4 and 5, but it can be translated as trust as well. It occurs seven times in verses 4 through 10. And so, ironically, this, 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 this pagan a Syrian spokesman has put his finger on the key to everything. And it was the key, not just for Hezekiah and the Judeans, it's the key for you and me. What are you relying on? Who are you trusting in? That's super relevant for us this week, right? Because we, we look at our culture and we see people on both sides of the political divide. They're absolutely freaking out as if the world is going to come to an end, as if everything hinges on an election. Which, you know, we can understand if you're a secular person and you don't believe in God, I mean, can kind of understand like the things of this world, what happens on, in this world is ultimate. That's all there is! And so things like politics are ultimate, should not be that way for God's people. Listen, if your your joy or sadness is dependent on an election, then friend, you you are relying too much, too much on the things of this world. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord when, always, trust in Him, always, God is sovereign. And he has purposes that go far beyond what we can possibly understand. And we should understand that as as believers. Listen, think about your own life. Think about crises in your own life. You know, whether it's health-related, whether it's family-related, whether it's financially-related, R- related or job related or whatever. Think about, think about things in your own life that bring you to a point of crisis. Who will you rely on? Who are you trusting in? Now, right now, right now, as you face whatever you face. Ray Ortland says this, we always live on the cutting edge of faith. Either faith in God or faith in something else. And yesterday's faith in God belongs to yesterday. In whom do you now trust? In the struggle you are facing now? In whom do you trust? This, this, this Assyrian spokesman just continues to, to, to needle them and stick the knife in in verse six. He says, look, you're relying on Egypt. That splintered reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of anyone who grabs it and leans on it. This is how Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is to all who rely on him. And you know what? He was right. He was right. See, he knows that the Judeans have tried to form this alliance with the Egyptians. He's like, how's that working out for you? He, 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 you know, he, he compares it to a, uh, to a staff. What do you do with a staff? You lean upon a staff, right? You, you put your weight upon a staff. But what if you put your weight upon a staff that just collapses, that just falls apart, and even more than that, that pierces you when you fall on it? He says, that's what your little alliance with Egypt has been like. He was right. They had had run everywhere but to God for their protection. Verses eight and nine, he he continues. Now make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to supply riders for them. In other words, he's basically saying, look, you Jews are a joke. You know, I would give you I would give you you 2,000 horses if you could provide the the men to ride on the battle horses, but you can't even do that. And here we are right outside your gates with 185,000. What are you going to do? You're going to rely on God? You're going to rely on God? Well, guess what? God's the one who told us to attack you to begin with. Verse 10 have I attacked this land to destroy it without the Lord's approval? The Lord said to me, attack this land and destroy it. Now, that wasn't true. <laughs> but, but the very suggestion of it was so disturbing that these guys encouraged this, this Assyrian spokesman not to speak in Hebrew any longer lest other people hear what he's saying and freak out. It says in verse 11, then Ella king team Shebna and Joah said to the royal spokesman Please speak to, speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew with an earshot of the people who are on the wall. Why? Because they don't want the people on the wall who understood Hebrew to hear these threats and just completely freak out. Well, that's a wrong thing to say <laughs> because the whole thing that this spokesman wants is for them to freak out. And so now, not only is he gonna continue to speak in Hebrew, he's just gonna ratchet up the threat of thousand decibels. Verse 12. But the royal spokesman replied, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men who are sitting on the wall, who are destined with you to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Now, see, these were the kinds of things that happened during a siege when people were starving. And so basically what he's doing is that he's threatening that, listen, we're gonna lay Jerusalem to, the, to, to siege and there, there is gonna be just utter, utter desperation and starvation and depredation in the city of Jerusalem. This is your destiny. This is your future unless you surrender, unless you strike a deal with me. Verses 13 and and 14. Then the royal spokesman uh, stood and and called out loudly in Hebrew. Listen to the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he cannot rescue you. You know what? He was right again. (laughs) He was absolutely right. Hezekiah could not rescue them. That was correct. But now look at what he says, verse 15. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord, saying the Lord will certainly rescue us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. So now this guy is not just throwing down the gauntlet to Hezekiah. He is throwing down the gauntlet before Yahweh. That's a big mistake. Verses 16 and 17, he continues. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his his own fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. In other words, hey, listen Jews, this can all be over. This can all end right now. This pressure that you're feeling, all of it can be lifted in just a moment's time. All you have to do is just surrender. That's it, just surrender and hey, you can just go back to your normal life, you can just keep living life the way that you're living it. Now, <laughs> of course, eventually we'll come and take you away, but you know, we're gonna take you away to a place where you can just continue to flourish and, and lead a good life. I mean, this sounds so much like what the Nazis said to Jewish people in the Second World War, right? That you know, Just, hey, we're gonna transport you to the east and things are gonna be good there, and, of course, they were sending them to Auschwitz and other concentration camps. Verse 18, he continues. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Has any one of the gods of the nations rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? See, this, this guy... This guy thinks that Yahweh is just one of the gods. (laughs) We've conquered all these other lands with all their gods. What makes you think that your God is gonna be any different? He thinks Yahweh is just, just, just one of the gods. Look at verse 20. Who among all the gods of these lands, ever rescued his land from my power. So will the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power? Wrong thing to say. (laughs) Because this guy and the king of Assyria are about to find out a couple of things. They're about to find out that Yahweh is not one of the gods but the true and living God. And Sennacherib is about to find out that he is not the great king. That would be God. Verse, verses 21 and 22. But they kept silent, they didn't say anything, for the king's command was don't answer him. That's, that was wise. You know there are times when just you don't need any more human words. Just let God answer. Verse twenty-two. Then Elahim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, and reported to him the words of the royal spokesman. So the tearing of the clothes that was a sign of distress. Morning. they tear their clothes and they, they go to King Hezekiah and they tell him everything that this guy has said, all of these threats, which is what we're gonna look at next week. And at this point, King Hezekiah has a choice and it's actually a choice that you and I face every day that we live we have to answer these questions. Old Testament scholar John Oswald puts them this way. Can God be trusted? Is he strong enough? Is he good enough? Is he faithful enough? If not him, then who or what should be trusted? Let me tell you, you can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord because he's proven himself in the ultimate way that he can prove himself to us. Romans 8.32 says, He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Listen, God's greatest gift includes all His lesser gifts. And God has already given us the greatest gift. The greatest gift is His Son. Do you think that He would provide His Son and not provide for anything else that you were to need as his child? Do you think that God would provide the greatest thing that he could ever provide, his son, and that, that God, that he, would, that he would abandon you now? Oh no. God will move heaven and earth to help you as his child. He will move heaven and earth to help you because he's already sent his son from heaven to earth to save you. You notice the word rescue here, the prevalence of the word rescue. Sometimes it's translated as deliver. It's used seven times in verses 13 through 21, and it means to extract, to draw out, to snatch away from danger. 34 years before, King Ahaz had stood in this very spot, the exact spot. And God had told him, trust me. Trust me for your protection. And they didn't do that. They ran to everything and everyone else for their protection but God. And now they've been brought to this spot. And Ray Ortlund said this, says this, They are at their end, surrounded by an overwhelmingly superior force. The enemy is gloating over royal Jerusalem, saying, Checkmate! What move will Judah make next? All they have left is God. Will they try to rescue their pride and negotiate their own way out of this? Or, for the first time in a long time, Will they stop faking it and go deeper with God? Let's pray. Father, whatever we're going through today, and I know there are all kinds of needs that are represented across this this room and in different lives. Lord, we pray that the very challenge, the very, maybe even the crisis that we're in, the burden that we're carrying today, the challenge that we're facing would would be an opportunity to go deeper with you, to trust you like we haven't trusted you before, to rely upon you the way we haven't relied upon you before, to to cast ourselves upon you in surrender. Father, I pray for anyone in my hearing in this room or anyone who's watching by video who who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts right now to repent of their sins and place their trust in Christ and come to know Him as their Savior and King. And Lord, for those of us who, who know Jesus, Take us deeper, take us deeper into a life of moment-by-moment trust in you, that you would be the one that we would rely upon, and you have proven yourself trustworthy through the gift of your Son.